Wow, what a Friday song. Thank you so much to Gareth, Cliff and the team back again on Monday, 6 to 9. It is Friday on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to it. Just gone 9 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Andrew Levy. Hey, listen, there's been all these talks in the... In the news, I suppose, over the last few weeks about, you know, Colonel Eugene de Kock being released on parole. Uh, we've had all these racism allegations and uh, a lot of it stems from how healthy is the country? How good are we as, as a society? Um, I thought that we'd go back a little bit to 1996 when uh, something called the TRC, you might remember it, was formed. Uh, we've got Dr. Faisal Randera. He was one of the commissioners in studio at the moment. We're going to talk to him about the TRC, what it meant to him, some of the atrocities that he heard, as well as the future. What are we going to do as South Africa to figure out this problem that we have right now, which is, to be honest, an unhealthy society? Have a listen to this. We will have looked the beast in the eye. We will have come to terms with our horrendous past and will no longer keep us hostage. We will cast off its shackles and holding hands together, black and white, we will stride together into the future and looking at our past, we will commit ourselves Never again. A stick was put inside your knees and you had to stretch your knees. During that period, you were suffocated. To kill any high-ranking member of the South African Communist or ANC was a legitimate target as far as we were concerned. He had many bullet wounds on his, on his body. After, after the postmortem, the doctors told me that he had 25 bullet wounds. There was only one way in which to try and stabilize these areas, and that was by means of the elimination of Mr. Matthews Goniwe and his closest colleagues. One of the TRC members came to us and said, there's a man who have applied for amnesty would like to speak to us, who is responsible for the killings. And when we got there, it was Eric Taylor. Cut the petrol pipe from the Honda to pull of Mr. Guniwe's and Galata's bodies. And I set both these bodies alight. Your applications contain a big pack of lies. Mrs. Ntimpulu is one example of a woman who appeared before the commission and did not ask for monetary compensation. All she asked for was that there should be a tombstone for her son. Some place where she can place some flowers and pray for her son. And I think that reflects the basic generosity of the African people. Wow. Absolute goosebumps here in the studio right now, listening to those stories. We've forgotten, I think, at least I have, uh, 0861-555-189 is the number to dial. If you want to talk about the TRC, what it meant to you, 
Um, and what it means to us as South Africa going forward. Uh, of course, you can get us on WeChat as well, as well as Twitter. Uh, get us on at uh, cliffcentral.com or at yebo underscore L-E-V-Y. We want to hear from you. We'll be uh, taking your questions to a very, very interesting gentleman who is joining us in the studio. His name is Dr. Faisal Randera. Uh, he was one of the truth commissioners in the TRC. Uh, Dr. Randera, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? So good, so good, so good to have you here. Um, I was a very, very young lad when the TRC went down, and I always remember watching and, and not really knowing what was going on. You know, it was very emotional for people watching around me, but not really understanding the, the magnitude of, of the TRC hearings. But I remember seeing this amazing Amazingly friendly face with a huge beard, and that happened to be you. So I've tracked you down after 18 years to finally find you and to find out your story. I mean, given what's going on in South Africa, um, the health of the nation, I suppose, is in question right now. No, absolutely. I think I, th- I think 20 years after democracy, can we really say that we are a reconciled society? Can we say that we are a socially cohesive society? I think the the judges are out on, on, on both these questions, and therefore that whole process that we started, well, that came into existence in 1995 with the appointment of a truth commission to look at human rights violations that had taken place under a political banner between 1960 and 1993, how does one become a commissioner of the TRC? I mean, there, there were probably a lot of people that, that wanted to become it. And, it, you know, the commissioners were from all different walks of life. Where did you grow up? What, what, what is the backstory to Dr. Faisal Randera? Uh, interestingly enough, I was born in a small town in the then Western Transvaal called Pochestrom. <laughs> um, and uh, my parents moved to, to Johannesburg when I was about nine or ten years old. And then I lived in what was uh, an area called Friedadob or Fitas, colloquially called Fitas, um, until, I li- until I moved to, the, to study in, 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 in England when I was about 17 years old. And I, I was out of the country for 17 years having finished some of my my schooling there as well as completed my university education and then returning in 1984 at a time when when uh, it seemed like we were going through intense conflict. Um, this is the state of emergency in South Africa. Several states of emergencies were declared. Um, and our return was was uh, a a conscious return in the sense that uh, I could have stayed in, in, in Britain. My wife is uh, English um, and therefore from would be recognized as a white person in South Africa. And suddenly you're coming back into a country where, 
where the Group Areas Act is still in existence, the Mixed Marriages Act is still in existence, conflict is all around you. And many people have always asked, why is it that you came back to South Africa? I mean, you could have had a very comfortable life. In, and the answer was really that we were, we were committed towards bringing about change in South Africa. And, and I suppose that brings me to that question that you asked, what makes a truth commissioner? Uh, I was in practice at that time in, in, in Mayfair, Johannesburg. An obstetrician? Uh, no, a, a family practitioner. Okay. With, with right. a, and I, w- one of my patients was Brigalia Bum, who then subsequently became the head of the Independent Electoral Commission. And although I'd, I had been reading in the papers that uh, a TRC was to be formed, I had not considered myself to be a member. And Brigalia came and said, you have to apply. You have to put your application in. So I, I went home that evening, spoke to Helen, my wife, discussed it with other friends over the next couple of weeks. I was involved in a number of organizations at that, at that particular time, uh, from human rights work to being involved as a doctor in in in, uh, in in health organizations, and I asked their their counsel whether I should be putting my application form. And in fact, my my uh, 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 nomination was supported by a number of human rights organizations. Um, let me let me also say at, at that particular time I was already involved with the with the African National Congress, but you are a card carrying member. Uh, yes, a card carrying <laughs> member. If you want to, if you want to put it that that <laughs> as strongly as that, and and, and so the, the point I want to make is that I was not deployed. The, you know, the word deployment comes up very <laughs> often in our society these days. That the, you know people get deployed. And I was not deployed by the ANC. I had not discussed it with anybody in the ANC that I was going to put my application into the TRC. And therefore, when the nomination process started, uh, remember, in terms of the legislation, the president could have actually chosen the 17 commissioners. The legislation allowed for 17 commissioners. The president could have chosen the 17 commissioners and said, right, I want to actually, we can, yes, the mandate, go ahead and do it. He, in fact, set up a, a committee made up of politicians from across the political spectrum in our, in our parliament at that time, from labor movements, from NGO organizations. And they then had to go through all the nominations. Some, I, my, my, if my memory serves me right, there were some about 289 people who applied to go through, uh, to be considered as, as members of this commission. The, the committee decided that they would interview, I think, about 45 people. And those 45 people had to go through a public interview. That was actually televised. I mean, uh, and 
covered by radio at the, at the time. It's but, like idols today, isn't it? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> idols for TRC commissioners. Huh? Maybe it was it it was it was a move towards becoming an idol. I don't know, but uh, but it was a very public process. Um, that committee finally submitted twenty five names to the to President Mandela for him to choose the 17 commissioners. Now, the legislation also allowed for two or three of the commissioners to be, if, if he so chose, to be outside people. And I remember, actually, I mean, the, the, uh, Mrs. Corita King, Martin Luther's King, Martin Luther's King's widow, was one of the people considered. Uh, I, I, I think uh, President Nehrere was another person considered to be on the TRC. But the, our president, in his, in his wisdom, decided that there were enough able people to, to choose from the South African community. And he chose all 17 commissioners, 15 coming out of that 25, uh, sorry, Yes, 15 coming out of the 25 names that were submitted. But when he looked at the names, he was of the, of the view that there weren't enough people coming from KZN mm-hmm. and therefore chose a person called the Reverend M. Gojo, who didn't go through the public interview process, as one of the 17. And he also felt that the colored community was underrepresented in the in the seven in the 50, 25 people that had been sub, submitted so he chose a advocate by the name of advocate Potkita to be part of the 17 commissioners so that's how the commissioners came into existence but it's important andrew to say that why why did the commission come into existence mm. i mean remember the ANC's position as a liberation movement had been very strongly geared towards taking power, probably through the barrel of a gun. Uh, the negotiation process changed all of that. Yeah. But the country was still faced with the very real question of how do we deal with the past? Many countries in the world, having gone through conflict, had made a, 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 the objective decision mm. that they would not actually deal with the past. So if you, if you look at Zimbabwe, Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, in our own continent, as, as examples that come about, very little had happened. Mm. I mean, we had the example, we had the real model of Nuremberg, where at the end of that Second World War, the Allies had actually decided that given the, the, the enormity of the, of, the, of the crimes committed, given what, what had come out of Auschwitz and all the other camps, what had happened in Poland, that there had to be some accountability. And they then established as, as the victors what was what was referred to as Victor's Justice, and Nuremberg was established. Now, now, here's the interesting thing, Faisal, and sorry to interrupt you, but but I suppose here's the defining factor between Nuremberg and the TRC was the TRC came out of a place of I suppose forgiveness 
Um, whereas Nuremberg, if you were tried and convicted, there were serious uh, cons- legal consequences. You, you were put to jail effectively. Um, and I suppose that's one of the questions that a lot of people still ask today is, was the TRC too, too, I suppose, in a way, not harsh enough, not, um, the consequences weren't dire enough. You could come in, apply for amnesty. If you got amnesty, and that's another question altogether, so we'll go through that, mm. you know, then, then suddenly you were forgiven and all was forgiven. Now I know it's not as black and white as that. Well, I, I think, I think it's an important question because, you know, 20 years later, it's, 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 uh, it is, uh, a question that we need to ask and sometimes it sounds as if it was an easy decision. Uh, but, but let's just put ourselves back into that period. Between yes. 1990, when the, when the negotiation process started and the elections taking place in 1994, some 25,000 people lost their lives out of the political conflicts that took place. Okay. Um, we know, we knew, we, we knew that even up to the coming of those those elections that we that we that we speak so greatly of, of today, when we when we look at the pictures going back, that there was a threat of bombs going mm. off all over the country. KwaZulu Natal was still looked upon as the killing fields of South Africa. So, within that climate, and given what had taken place between 1990 and 1994. Given our, our very divided and fractured society, what was that decision the politicians could have made? They could have made that decision of saying, let's go the prosecutory yes. route. And, and would that have actually allowed for the society to come together? Um, could we have actually just ignored it and said, let's get on with, let bygones be bygones? And let's let's move. But remember, the president of the ANC, who then became the president of the country, when the issue of human rights violations to, came up in the camps of the ANC, and and had, he had set up the the Motsenyane Commission, very clearly at the end of that report, which showed that there were issues that needed to be looked at more deeply, that instead of, when, when the question was asked, asked of him to, to say, what are you going to do about this? His answer was that only a legal government represented, representing, representing all the people of South Africa would come out with the answer as to how we deal with the passes, uh, atrocities of apartheid, but also what had happened in the in the camps of the ANC. Mm. So, Dalla Omar, who became the first justice minister, was given the responsibility to say, well, how do we deal with the past? NGOs played a very important role in coming to that position. By the way, it, the TRC wasn't about forgiveness. The TRC was about reconciliation and putting on record what had taken place in this period so that hopefully as you as as from your opening uh recording where where, where you gave uh archbishop tutu the, the, his the important voice he said 
This will not happen again. We must not allow this to happen again in our society. And yes, I think, I think if we reflect from that point onwards, 20 years later, we don't, we don't see political killings taking place in the mm. country. We're not seeing rogue elements, uh, although of course people can talk about corruption in the police force and we, we, we're hearing a great deal of that in our police force right now. But that doesn't mean that, that those are political killings that are taking place. We're not, we're not seeing suddenly uh, you know, given that the EFF has become such a major force, somebody saying, "Oh, let's let's remove these people yes. from the political scene." Yep. So, political killings are something of the past, and we we need to be appreciative that in the twenty years that we've been living, that our society perhaps may, you know, it, somebody said the other day, the 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 Minister of Arts and Culture has established a. A social cohesion committee, and and a number of us have been asked to become advocates for social cohesion. Yes. And at a meeting last week, somebody said two points were made. One was that perhaps we we shut down the TRC too quickly, yeah. and I, we can come back to that. The other was that really South Africa is a society that is being. Nobody likes the word engineered, but we are in a process of re-engineering society from one where the dominant ideology was white versus black. And within, 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 within the, that, that, that uh, dialectic, black was looked upon as inferior. We now live in a society where our constitution says everybody is equal. And, but but yet those underlying tensions mm. keep coming up. Coming yeah. up, we see it. I mean, in Cape Town, all these 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 racist attacks of of young men and women who weren't even born in apartheid are now in their twenties and are are spearheading this this anger. And, and it hasn't really been dealt with. And I think because the TRC, and I think we can get to this as well. Um, I feel like the TRC hasn't been given a good broadcast going forward in, in the, in the realms of South African history. We seem to be forgetting all this. I mean, let's just talk quickly about statistics. 5,289 people were refused amnesty out of the 7,112 applicants that applied. What did you need to do in order to get amnesty? Amnesty was a, was a, of the, of all the committees in the TRC, the amnesty committee was a very much a legal committee. It was headed by judges and, uh, Judge Marl, who unfortunately died several years back was one of the judges appointed by, by the president and Judge Nwepe, who became president of, of, of the, of the court in, in, in Pretoria and stepped down a few years ago was the other judge. The, the, the TRC commissioners who, who played a role in, in that committee also were from the legal pr- profession. So, so there had to be a political motive. It had to, the person who, uh, who was applying for amnesty was applying in his or her own right. 
it couldn't be a collective responsibility. Um, <clears throat> there had to be a, a clear line of order that was given for for that for 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 the amnesty application to be co- considered. And where a gross, gross human rights violation took place, it had to be heard in public. So it was a very public process where people went through that. Now, if we look at those 7,000 people that you're talking about, the majority of them came from the liberation movement. Mm. Uh, yes, we had applications from the South African police services, but... And, and they gave very important evidence in terms of the atrocities that took place in South Africa. But the military did not apply for, uh, for, 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 for amnesty um, and, and, uh, and, and hid behind the position that said we were following legal orders and we were working within the legislation of the then South Africa. Politicians did not apply for, for amnesty. From the ANC side, and and uh, part of of what what then became quite a fraught situation when the report was finally finally came out, was around this issue of collective responsibility. Yes, many ANC leaders who subsequently became uh, ministers and deputy presidents and even presidents, <laughs> uh, applied for amnesty. But they applied under the, the banner of the ANC's collective responsibility. Right. And the TRC said that cannot happen. It can only be in your own right that you are applying. Yes, you can, you can link it up in terms of orders that, that you had to follow, but that wasn't accepted. And that really became a very tense moment at the time when, when the report was, was about to be handed over to the president. And we weren't even clear whether the president would come and accept. But President mm-hmm. Mandela, in his magnanimity, came and accepted the report and made that an official uh, report of, of, of the country at the time. So just uh, just to to be clear because it was unclear in my mind but you you you've outlined it quite nicely there were three major committees at the TRC there was amnesty which we just spoke about there was the human rights atrocities and then there was reparation now let's talk about the human rights atrocities that's the one that we see these these amazing visuals and and I really do say amazing because they're they're heart-wrenching visuals and if you go into YouTube now and just you know, type in TRC, you will see these uh, men and women breaking down. You'll see the archbishop breaking down uh, countless times, um, hearing um, these human rights violations. Then there's the the reparation. Um, Now, there's a lot going on at the moment in that space, right now even, 18 years after that. And uh, one of the individuals who is uh, looking after that is Dr. Marjorie Jobson. She's on the phone right now. Um, and I want to speak to her in just a second, but I want to hear from you in terms of this reparations and, and, and getting money back. What was the, what was the initial kind of feeling from that? And what was the, the directive given from the TRC? Sure. Look, the, the reparations committee in terms, again, remember we, we worked within a legal mandate. This wasn't uh, something that you, you made up as you went along. 
and and the responsibilities of the of the reparations committee was very clearly laid out uh, in 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 the legislation that a policy had to be worked out where the TRC made a decision on people who had come forward to the to the to the human rights violations committee and we had to make a finding the finding would have been either to say yes a, a a human rights violation had taken place against that person or a family member of that person and therefore that person's name then went into the record as a victim i mean a lot of people did not like the word victim because it uh, it denoted a sense of 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 being very weak uh, and therefore many people talked about being survivors in 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 that situation yes. but that was the language used by by the legislation and we couldn't change the legislation in 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 a sense so so once that that decision was made the 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 reparations committee's uh, recommendations was that certain reparations would follow in 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 to to that individual there was a cash sum that was mentioned yes the the amount that we actually had, had spoken about was not finally accepted by parliament and 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 the, and the government at the time so the amount was was reduced so, there were other areas of reparations that had to come about renaming of schools renaming of streets uh educational bursaries for for victims health support all of those was in those issues were covered in the reparation mm. policy now you know i i it would be interesting to hear from 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 marjorie as to what had has transpired because that policy was handed over we could not actually implement the policy mm. the policy had to then go go through the parliamentary process had to be accepted there and then and 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 a fund had to be created now i i understand a fund was created many of those people then had to apply for their as as victims for their for their for the cash amount that was that was agreed to and yes we still hear uh, you know not so much today that some people have not been given their 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 the amounts that was promised well let's 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 bring on dr marjorie jobson now and uh, hear what she has to say uh, dr jobson good uh, morning to you Good morning, Andrew. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You are part of the uh, Kulumani Support Group, um, which specifically, I think, deals with the uh, reparations of um, apartheid victims uh, throughout the, the TRC process. Tell us, uh, how's it been going since, uh, you know, 18 years on? Andrew, the, the recommendations that Dr. Randira is speaking about were were presented in 1998, and it is now almost 17 years since they were published as very, very excellent recommendations. The biggest challenge we have is that um, different proposals were commissioned under President Mbeki, much less than the TRC had determined was necessary to help people to heal and to establish them on a foundation from which they could then build their lives going forward. And in addition, you know, we started this TRC one year, 
the legislation was discussed one year after our transition at a time when there was conflict going on, especially in KwaZulu-Natal, especially in the townships around Gauteng. And in various provinces, people were told, then don't you dare go to the Truth Commission. We will kill you if you go and reveal what we did to you. So we sit with a very, very incomplete and unresolved situation, which is very possible to deal with. But the, the agency, which is now commissioned to plan a proper reparations program that would really help people after all these years to get on their feet, to heal, to begin to contribute as an active member of their society, um, is not in place. The, the, the agency is the TRC unit in the Department of Justice. It does not have any policy-making um, mandate at all, and any engagement that happens from civil society with that unit is rebuffed and rejected, and it is not even it's not even entertained as real possible solutions to what is going on. And so we now have a President's Fund, which is the Reparations Fund for Victims, which has 1.3 billion rand accumulated in it, apart from the nearly 4,000 people who got, who were lucky enough to be amongst the few people who got the official TRC number, called a TRR number, who decided to leave their money in the fund so it could benefit the vast number of people who, who never managed to get proper recognition from the TRC. So, and that money now, after 11 years of sitting in the fund, the Department of Justice is under pressure to find ways of quickly dispersing it. And so they have a horrendous plan in place to go and dump 30 million rand at a time without an integrated planning process that is driven and directed by the victims for whom the money is targeted on, at the moment, 18 municipalities, but they intend to reach 128 municipalities, and victims are having virtually no say in what happens to that money. And if it's going to be about finally giving victims a say in what they need, to restore their lives and their dignity and to begin to heal and to get access to the services they need. Um, victims have to be central to the decision-making, not the politicians, not the local government officials, which is what the Department of Justice is presently putting in place. And we think it's an abomination of what the TRC recommended had to happen. And we are doing everything we can to stop that terrible, terrible plan which the department is trying to roll out um, without any adopted legal framework yet. They, they have published their proposals in a government gazette. Those proposals have been widely contested. They've never been promulgated, but the Department of Justice is continuing to try and roll out this plan. So we have a horrible situation of actually removing the one source of restoring victims of apartheid atrocities with that money and, and, and taking that money, basically we believe plundering that money to give to municipalities with almost no approval from any victim in those municipalities. Now, Dr. So, Jobson, just, just, just very quickly there. I mean, this sounds, I mean, this sounds like an atrocity. It's, it's, it's something that, that I wasn't aware of. And, and I'm hoping that the good work that you guys are doing at Kulamani is, is going to get it out to more people. Um, 
have you gone back to any of the commissioners to say, look, this is what's going on. Um, this is not what originally was, was stated. How do we come together as a collective to fix this? What's been, what's been that kind of, uh, what, what have been those kind of discussions? And we have been, we, we, we started this big campaign called Let's Finish What We Started. Asikak Perdi, last year on the anniversary of the 1998 TRC report, we are hoping to build a huge amount of momentum. We've certainly informed certain of the TRC commissioners. We think there's a denial of what's really happening, and we need every former TRC commissioner to get on board to stop what is happening at the moment? I know government is stretched for money, but that doesn't mean you take the victim's money. When you promised victims you would repair the damage, and in the meantime, you keep extending opportunities to perpetrators. And that's where our problems are really seriously stacked, and we have to turn this around. We hope that finally, every year, we ask President Zuma to please make some kind of announcement in the State of the Nation address. And every year he doesn't mention the people who brought the government, the ANC, to power in this country. So there is a grave injustice going on, and we have to turn the situation around. Mm. Dr. Marjorie Jobson, uh, Director of the Kulamani Support Group, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we do wish you well um, with this, and, and hopefully get it sorted out, because uh, this, as you say, is absolutely not what was intended, and uh, really, from, from the bottom of my heart, I hope that we do get to hear from the victims and, and get their say into where this money is going. 1.3 billion rand looks like it's being used uh, for political politicizing, as, as they say. Uh, get your thoughts quickly on this, uh, Dr. Indira. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, what Marjorie, <clears throat> Marjorie is saying is, is very important that uh, we have not been able to distribute money that was rightfully allocated um, for, for the purposes that, that and the recommendations that the TRC made. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy to participate in this process. I have not had any uh, indication that this was this is what's happening. So if there's a role that we can play and uh, that I can actually also bring in other commissioners to assist in this process, then then we, we must play that role. Brilliant. Because I, I think quite, you know, early on you, you'd ask Andrew whether – we had shut shop too early. Mm. And I, I think there are very strong indicators that having left it to the political processes, uh, we lost the momentum that the NGO sector had brought into the TRC, the church sector had brought into the TRC. And there was, there was a great sensitivity at the end of the time that – of where, where our our mandate came to an end, that were we then asking for permanent jobs, and it was never the intention of mm. the TRC that it would create permanent positions. Oh, you for, had enough on your plate for, for commissioners, <laughs> and so 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 that sensitivity perhaps should have been looked at more seriously. Of course, commissioners were dealing with their own issues. You know, three years of having been involved not only in the listening but also in the writing of 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 what we had heard took its own toll of 
course. Uh, and and so perhaps that that was part partly why commissioners felt that they needed to go back to their own lives and to mm. rebuild their own lives as such. Well, I want to talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, obviously, if you if you <clears throat> if you want to go back to the TRC, there's there's a lot there's a incredible amount of books published on it. Uh, there's the official TRC uh, statements that were put out as well, which are absolutely riveting. Einke Kroch, an amazing journalist, uh, wrote Country of My Skull, which if it doesn't put you to tears, uh, then I don't know what will because it is an absolutely harrowing affair. There were a number of journalists involved, um, both black and white, and it was really interesting to go back uh, to see the accounts of these journalists and what they thought was going on um, with the TLC and how it benefits certain people. Uh, one of those journalists was, of course, uh, Deborah Patter. She's on the line as well. Uh, Deborah, good morning to you. From a journalist perspective, the TLC hearings, what was, you know, some of the, the accounts that you had uh, regarding the TLC, some of the moments that you were just blown away? Hi, Andrew. Hi, Faisal. Well, I know Faisal well from covering the Truth Commission um, over that period as well. And I think journalists are there also were on that journey Stuff that we knew happened during apartheid, but then it's confirmed in an official hearing is very important. Truth is a very powerful thing. And if you look at how truth is manipulated today and how there's an attempt to airbrush South Africa's history, and in some ways a selective amnesia about what happened during apartheid. I was appalled to read a report last year that um, a significant percentage of white South Africans do not think that apartheid was a crime against humanity. And this is because many South Africans today live ahistorically. They do not know where we have come from. And what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission did was attempt to give some kind of voice to the horrors of a brutal, horrific, evil regime. It was crucially important at that time, um, as your previous caller said, that we needed to, in a way, stop the bloodletting in this country. It was a very tenuous time. Just the mere publishing of the Truth and Reconciliation Report was very difficult because all sorts of parties wanted stuff eliminated, wanted bits blacked out. It was a very, very tough time, and we've forgotten that. And that is why we see incidents like, you know, young white students in Cape Town beating up black people. There's just no sense of where this country has come from and what it has been through. And while, sure, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission perhaps did not get all the truth out, there's no way that it did, and there were a lot of very senior perpetrators high up in the apartheid government, who were not forced to book, who were not held to account, it nevertheless went some way to helping us understand this horrific history. And I think those that report, which is a long, very difficult, but very important read, should actually be mandatory reading in high schools, that people need to understand where we've come from. For me as a journalist covering it, as I said, we knew a lot of what had happened. But to actually hear it in this almost cold way through lawyers, victims having to be translated yeah, through the translators Archbishop Desmond, yes Archbishop Desmond Tutu breakdown in tears that iconic image it was a very powerful experience I think to go through I mean I covered quite a lot of the truth and reconciliation hearings um, and I think perhaps one of the ones that I found particularly difficult was that of Vota Basson who was sort of apartheid um, kind of um, biological and Dr. chemical Death. expert in warfare, known as Dr. Death, who committed, you know, from sort of bumbling, idiotic experiments to some of the most brutal experiments that were conducted under apartheid. But just the ordinary victims as well who came forward, and a lot of the time they simply wanted to know. They wanted to know what had happened to their loved ones. They wanted to know where they could perhaps find their bodies and have a proper burial and get some 
kind of closure, that sense of living with these haunting memories year after year and never knowing, and then finally actually being able to hear the truth was a very powerful thing for both sides. Um, mm. And it's a pity that more people didn't come forward and actually use the opportunity to talk. But remember, there was a contract there. It wasn't just truth-telling, um, that, they, that in exchange for truth, there would be forgiveness um, and reparation. And all those three elements needed to have been fulfilled. There wasn't enough truth. Not enough perpetrators came forward. And as we're hearing now, the reparation process has been extremely bumpy. And so in many ways, the mission of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is not over. And its place in history is not correctly recorded. And I am fervently of the opinion that it needs to be recognized far more. It's been brought up with the debate around Eugene de Kock. Should he get forgiveness? Ironically, he's one of the few people that helped the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and you can argue that was for his own interest. But either way, he did help the commission. Um, and people need to know where we've come from so we don't have this gap, this amnesia, this airbrushing of history. Deborah, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Fascinating uh, listening to you about your covering of the TRC. Faisal, back to you in terms of um, some of the times or moments during your time as the commissioner of the TRC, are there any kind of moments that stick out for you um, when listening to these horrific human atrocities? I think I, w- I, wanted to, <clears throat> I want to highlight uh, three stories, actually. I mean, the, the first one was covered last Sunday to some extent on, on, the, on SABC3, and that was the life of uh, a, a young teacher whose life came to an end, sadly, in, in the 70s by the name of Ahmed Timor. Mm-hmm. Now, in the first hearing that we had in, 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 in the Central Methodist Church, um, there's, a, there's a lot of history that has been written about the Central Methodist Church since then, of course, but we, we had that first hearing from the Johannesburg office, in the Central Methodist Church, and I remember going to approaching um, the Timol family um, to ask whether they would come and talk about what had happened to their son. Now, the, the, the background was that he had come back to South Africa as an underground operative for the ANC and the Communist Party, arrested at a roadblock. A lot of supposed pamphlets were found in his car, taken to John Foster Square. And like so many other political activists, was not seen by his family again. Um, The the story given by by the uh, South African police at the time was that uh, he had asked to go to the toilet, um, stood up and lunged forward towards the window, which was on the, and the interrogation room was on the sixth floor, jumped out, and of course died. <clears throat> we know from from the stories of the TRC and 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 from media coverage that there had many there had been other political activists who had died in in similar fashion. Um, now, convincing the mother first of all because the father had died by then was very difficult. Um, eventually, she did actually come to the to the TRC. Now, I, I, I raise the story of Ahmed Timol again because we are forgetting 
the contributions that have been made to build this non-racial society in South Africa. But it was heart-wrenching. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, you, you talked earlier on about the interpreters who had to actually live interpret what victims were saying. Uh, we had organized for an interpreter because Ahmed's mother did not speak English. She spoke, she, she spoke Gujarati. And the interpreter who was to, to do that interpretation was late coming to the, to the, to the, to the, to the hearing. So I went into the box and do the, did the interpretation. <laughs> wow. And as I, as she spoke, you know, I could, I could well feel the, the tears welling up in my eyes. It was extremely difficult to, 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 to hold it together. Because when she was asked about the uh, son, she let out a screech. You know, th- that, that Methodist church was packed on that, on, on that day and, and for all the days that we had the hearings there. And you could, Almost hear a pin drop as 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 she as the screech went through because sadly nobody applied for the for the for the for for amnesty for the death of of Amatibol. So what actually transpired? I mean, we know from from the inquest hearing that, that took place that he was severely tortured. Um, now none of that came out, and 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 so we get we. we the, the family still live to this day without knowing what had happened to their, to their son, to their brother, to their uncle. And that remains hmm. uh, uh, the situation for many people who came to the TRC. The second story I want to talk about is uh, the, the, the story of the Smith family from Pretoria. Their son had, uh, they had been on holiday in KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, a bomb went off. Um, Set off by a, a an ANC operative who was who subsequently was arrested and and was ha- hanged, um, and again that family came to the TRC to talk about how they had actually responded. Now this was a child, you know. I mean, uh, there were other children who had also been killed. By, by some of the bombings that, that uh, before the, a- the ANC changed its policy. Yes. At the time that this bomb went off, the ANC policy was not to, 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 uh, to target uh, civilian areas. And I remember very clearly the father speaking so eloquently about the loss of his child and what that, that, that had done to them as a family. And essentially what came out was here was an Afrikaans family who could have actually taken a much more antagonistic view towards what was then called the Swart Khafar, these terrorists who, who, who brought bombs into South Africa. And, but instead, they became the voice of reconciliation within their community. Mm. They asked the question, why was it that this had happened? What was it that, that had actually established this, this conflict? And through that process, they were able to convince some of their own family members not to, to live on vengeance and hatred. So it was a, a very apt story 
to be bringing be, before the TRC. The last one I want to bring is, is Stanza Bopape because it, it brings into, into being how our police services became dysfunctional in the 80s. Stanza Bopape was, an, uh, was a, a, a political activist. Um, just before, I can't remember whether it was the fifth or the sixth uh, anniversary of the Soweto uprising, he disappears. People had seen him in Hillbrow, and from that moment, he disappeared. But other people had been arrested with him, and they said Stanza had been arrested by the police. The police subsequently let out a story that he was going to actually take them to identify where arms caches were, were being hidden. And in the process, while he's being surrounded by all these policemen, somehow he, he escapes. Hmm. That's the story. But in the community, everybody understood that Stanza had been killed by the police and his body had that been got rid of. We At the TRC, at the amnesty hearings, police officers then came forward and talked about how they had tortured him, they had put electrical wires to his, to his chest to, to, to give him electrical shock treatment, and after the second or third attempt, he keeled over and died in front of them. So what do they do? They know that if they, I mean, the, the anniversary is coming up, it's going to actually cause a lot more unrest. They they hide his body in, 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 a, in, a, in a cupboard. Subsequently, his body is driven to, to, to Kumati Port and, and his body is thrown in uh, where there are a lot of crocodiles. Now, that unless the police actually came forward and there was an amnesty process, that family would never have heard. Of course, Faisal, there's a lot of anger. Sorry, I've, I know. Got to, I've got to stop you there. Sure. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. I mean, we could speak forever on the TRC, and maybe perhaps we need to. Um, Faisal Randira, a ex-commissioner of the TRC, thank you so much for joining us, and I really do hope that you and Dr. Marjorie Jobson do get together and have a chat about how we get the reparations back on track to what it was. It's been a fantastic, fantastic interview. Um, you really have shed light onto so many things. I did want to get some your family to discuss what it's like to to be the the child the children of a commissioner like this we have unfortunately run out of time the sex show is up next 10 o'clock something lighter apparently they're all nude um so we look forward to that um but if you do want to check out the podcast www.cliffcentral.com oh no apparently they do have clothes on this time thank god i was worried about that uh, but check out the podcast on the trc so much more needs to be done on the subject have yourself a fantastic friday and a great weekend. Ciao, ciao. Thank you, Andrew.